0: Those of you who attend church here regularly have heard this before, but I don't care. (laughs) Some of you haven't heard it. Um, Prior to my becoming a priest, I worked for American Airlines for 10 years. And uh, one always, I can't help but think of, the. I did a number of things during that period, but the the one that was perhaps the most interesting, at least in terms of the stories that I have, was when I was in the lost luggage area, and nothing was more challenging than the lost luggage department at Christmas, particularly Christmas Eve. I never had enough seniority to pull having it off. And, you know, nothing is more irritating to people than to not have their presence. And uh, I had to talk to them. It, it was fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, just remember, when you talk to someone... Either in person or on the phone, it could be it could have been me and uh, uh, I had this one story it was a true story, but it didn't happen to me, but it was a true story. It was a, a delayed flight, and a lot of luggage got lost, you know and the reality was ninety percent of it came in within one day, most of it on the next flight, and so usually there was not a problem, but uh, there was a long line at the at the counter, and a man came up from the back of the line and stood and kind of took cuts and got in front of everyone. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm a very important person. I've got some very, some very uh, it's very essential that I get my things as soon as possible. And the lady said, uh, the agent said, you know, you're going to have to get in line like everyone else. I can't take you ahead of everyone else, no matter how important you are. And he, she did not know who he was, and I can't remember who this was. It sounds like a joke, but it's true. And he said, he said, uh, I, I need my, my ambo for this. He said, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? She got, she got on the mic. <laughs> Donations being accepted after mass for this. She, she got on the mic And she said, "Attention! This is the luggage department. Attention, passengers. We have someone at the counter who doesn't know who he is." (laughs) Well, you know, it it was a long day. You know, there were so many of these people that thought they were so, they thought they were so important. And you you know you see them; they're most valuable. Passengers, MVPs, and, and, and this and that. and they, they get so used to people telling them how, how important they are. And they're not important. No one's going to remember them in 100 years. And what they're doing is not going to be remembered. But what is important? You know, I, I thought of that story because of this gospel. And uh, Jesus is compared with someone in this gospel that you probably didn't even think of. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. Imagine the power of Caesar Augustus and his his delegate to Syria. a place is still in the news. Quirinius. Nobody knows who Quirinius is today. But in those days, Quirinius was a force to be reckoned with. He was an agent of the emperor. No one knows who he is. We know who Caesar Augustus was. Caesar Augustus... It is said that during World War II, if Hitler had taken over North Africa, Asia Minor, and all of Europe, he wouldn't have been half as powerful as Caesar Augustus was at the height of the Roman Empire. He was so powerful that he was thought of as a god, they pinched incense to him all across the known western world. It was said that he, let, he inherited Rome as a city of bricks and left it as a city of marble. Everybody knew who Caesar Augustus was. I'll contrast that with Jesus. Who is Jesus in this story? Jesus was so poor; he was born in a cave. His parents did not have the money or the influence to go to the counter and say, "Do you know who I am? I want a good room. My wife is about to have a child." Somebody. Took pity on them and gave them one of the many caves that are in Bethlehem to this day. There are many caves in the hillside there that you can visit. That's where he went. His mother was an unknown, his father was poor. He was soon on the lamb being wanted. They wanted, there was a price on his head. The king, King Herod, the delegate of the emperor, nominally Jewish, wanted to kill him. And there he stayed for several years. No power. A powerless man. He grew up, he learned a trade. He was a carpenter. Actually, he was a, a construction worker. Uh, the word is tecton. He, he was a worker, uh, a construction person. He was probably a very well-built man. His father died sometime during his childhood. And he took over and supported his mother. And when he was 29, he went down to the desert and he was baptized by John and began his 30 months of ministry. Halfway through it, half his disciples left him. One of them betrayed him. All of them ran away. And this man died on a cross at the behest of the Roman Empire. The most shameful death any man could ever have. And yet... 2,000 years later, almost no one here can tell me anything more about Caesar Augustus. And nobody pinches incense to him, and nobody cares. He's the most powerful man on earth. Nobody today compares with that. But Jesus, everybody talks about him. This is what Christmas is all about. What's important And what's not? The people that make all the noise in the front are not important. They only think they are. They're having their moment right now. They get all the media attention. Everybody applauds when they speak. They say all the right things. But God is not with them. Their God is this world. Why was Caesar so important in his day? Everything he built was physical. Like the presence under the tree. Things that are temporal. Things that do not last. But they were real. We still have the marble buildings and some of the roads in ruins. Yes, he built a lot. But Jesus built in the Spirit. And the Spirit is what's going to last forever. The Spirit is what's going to last forever. It's uh, it's interesting... I'm, I've lived long enough to remember that when I was young, the issue in all churches was that Christmas, our, our season of Christ being born, the, 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 the word Christmas was being taken by, by the retail and commercialized. You know, Christmas began here in the Catholic Church, and Christmas begins today today and goes on for several weeks, whereas in the stores, it's over tomorrow. They're done with it. So for years, people got mad about this, you know, uh, put Christ back in Christmas and so on. Then the last 10 years, we got mad because they took the word Christmas out of the retail. Isn't that funny? Now now we've been concerned the last few years about about, uh, uh, nativities that are are being um, threatened on public squares and things. I don't think Jesus is very interested in any of those things. What he wants to know is, is he reigning in my heart? This is where he wants to reign. He never did reign in the world. The world hated him 2,000 years ago and hates him now. The people of power have never loved Jesus. But who does Jesus come to? He comes to the humble. We're on the road to Bethlehem along with Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are forced to go to Bethlehem because of the decree of Caesar Augustus. The emperor of the known world to them. They're a little backwater in Nazareth and they go off to Bethlehem to the cave where Jesus is born at Caesar's behest. And we go with him. And who is it that Jesus, that the Lord God Almighty is born in this incredible situation, and the irony, which never fails to escape me, you know, we all get caught up in it. And I love it. I used to love it as much as you, many of you do now. You know, it's just the, the whole idea of exchanging all these gifts and things, and yet you got Jesus in a manger under the under the, you know, born in a feeding trough. It's kind of funny in a way. You know, the two don't really go together, and in a way they do. But who does God speak to? to let him know what's happening. Who does he clue in? Not Caesar Augustus. Not Herod. Not Corinius, uh, whoever he was, governor of Syria. Not the innkeepers that turned them out. Shepherds. The lowest of the low of that social situation. You couldn't get any lower than a shepherd. That was the job you took if you couldn't get any other job. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, you see, the humility of God. And this is how God works. He doesn't, He is not willing to reveal himself to the proud, but only the humble. And the angel says, don't be afraid, I'm proclaiming good news to you. What good news? The, the salvation of the world, the Christ and Lord. You're going to find him lying in swaddling clothes and wrapped in a manger. We have to have humility to find Jesus. At the last Mass, I was telling him, I had a quite, kind of a different homily, but um, I had so much to do this last week, you know, I had 12 hours of, of confessions and things, and, and right in the middle of this, I got a big, flat, fat, flat tire, and I was not pleased with God, and I told him that. It's not a very humble thing. I, I, said, I said, look at all I've done for you this week, and look what you've done for me, <laughs> You know, it wasn't a very pleasant conversation that I had, and I was over there at the gas station putting air in my tire to try to keep it going, and somebody from the tire place, just who recognized me from my previous car, I haven't been in there since then. He stopped me and he said, he said, you know, I can hear air hissing out of that tire you got out there, and I, he said, you go take it right and garage it right away, and I said, thanks a lot, Lord. I didn't, I didn't appreciate what he was doing for me, and so uh, yesterday. After Mass, after the three Masses, I, I took this car, uh, I had AAA put the spare on, and then I, this morning I took it down to um, Les Schwab down here. Didn't have time for that. I told God that. I said, it's Christmas Eve, I want to pray, not go to the tire shop. You see, the lack of humility. I said, do you know who I am? <laughs> do you know who I am? No answer, no answer from God. I said, I, What I really said was, do you know how busy I am? That's what I said. And, and, you know, I'm in there, and there's another pastor. I can't think of the name of his church now. It was someplace in Salem, and he had a dead battery, and he wasn't happy with the Lord either. <laughs> so we were comparing notes. He, I said, oh, I'm the pastor over at St. Edward. He said, oh, that place where they, they cram them all in at the 430 Mass. I said, yeah, that's the place, you know. And it, we were both marveling, though, because we're, we're in there. they got this big TV in there. And, and, and on the TV, I, I came in and I, I sat down there because I, I, I dropped my tire off and then I went back to pick it up, you know, so it wasn't that bad. But I was sitting there waiting for them to get done with it. And there, on this huge TV they've got in there, is a picture of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and a stained glass window. And I'm thinking okay, this is a tire place, right? I know it's Christmas Eve, but what's this doing up there? Well, it was CNN. You know, I don't expect to get a, a thing with a pious thing on CNN, even on Christmas Eve. And I watched it for about 15 minutes while I was waiting. It was really reverent. And, and both of us were marveling at this. And I, as I picked up my car, I, I mean my, uh, my tire, and drove home, I, I realized I'd had a religious experience in, in a strange place. You know, God... Doesn't speak to the prowl well, while I'm in there telling him how busy I am. He had a plan, you see. I was on the road to Bethlehem. I have to be humble like Mary and Joseph to hear him. They were poor. They had to walk or ride a donkey. Nobody was waiting on them hand and foot. Nobody was waiting with gifts for them. They came to a cave. Life was inconvenient. They had to struggle. Joseph threatened Mary with divorce until he realized what was going on. They had to run off to Egypt. It just goes on and on in their lives. Next week, we hear Jesus lost in the temple and Mary and Joseph don't know what to do. You see how poor they are. They don't know how to raise a child even that's God. This is how God speaks to us. He, he speaks to the humble. And so we come back to where we began. What is important and what is not? Christmas tells us what's important. If you're of a certain age... Uh, I looked at my family pictures tonight. Most of my family has has died, unfortunately, but I look at the pictures, and I got all these presents under the tree, and when I was young, I thought that was so great, you know, but you know, I don't remember what was in those gifts, but I do miss the people around the tree. That was what was important, and you know that's true. That's what Christmas is all about. The people that yelled at me because their luggage was lost didn't realize they had arrived they were going to see their families. That was what was important, not the things that were lost for one day in some other plane. Maybe they were learning a lesson. I wish I could go back. I might say a few things, but I'd get fired. (laughs) Uh, Fired myself, didn't I? But Jesus, uh, he's not the most attractive present under the tree. He doesn't look important, but 2,000 years from now, The people that are important now, nobody will remember them, but they'll still be talking about Jesus, and we'll be looking down from where we are, wondering if the people of that era, if the world should still exist, will be able to figure out what's important and what is not. Jesus is what is important, and that is the most important thing of all.